We just had the full launch of Detroit Factory Zero, which is really the birthplace of first fully electric automotive assembly plant in the world, you know, mm -hmm. outside of Detroit area. So it's, it's neat to see that full transformation, the full leadership support behind the transformation. Welcome to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast featuring conversations with leaders of the energy transition, hosted by Smart Energy Decisions founder, John Fiella. In each episode of Smart Energy Voices, John digs deep with industry movers and shakers to reveal insights you can learn from in their stories, personalities, and visions for the future. All right, let's dive in. Welcome back, everyone, to Smart Energy Voices. I'm John Fiella. If you've been enjoying our show, please leave a review on your preferred podcast player. Today, we're excited about welcoming back Rob Threlkeld, Global Manager of Sustainable Energy, Supply, and Reliability at General Motors. You might remember my conversation with Rob last March on the future of General Motors, EVs, and renewables. Today, we're sharing a keynote conversation I had with Rob at our recent Renewable Energy Forum, where we discussed the dramatic changes at General Motors since our last conversation, including their commitment to an electric future and how energy is driving the reinvention of the company. Here's my conversation with Rob Threlkeld. We've had the pleasure to talk on numerous occasions, right? Over the years, you've been a very active member of our advisory board member and from conversations at an airport when flights are delayed to conversations at meetings like this. I've had the good fortune to, to get to know you well, but many people here probably don't know you as well. So why don't you start by telling us a little about yourself, your role, and what you're currently doing at GM. Yeah, no, absolutely. And thanks for the warm welcome, John, and good morning, everyone here. It's a beautiful morning, I would have to say. This has been probably the best morning we've seen uh, so far with the sun shining. And as John introduced myself, I am Rob Threlkeld. I've been at General Motors a little over 21 years now, um, really all in the energy sector of our company, whether it's been operating some of our largest power plants. In fact, I'll probably be one of the last ones at GM to say that I you know, helped operate a coal-fired power plant. There's none left at General Motors, and we haven't had any for a decade plus, and so I actually kind of kicked off my career in that. Went into design of some of our largest power plants for our central utility complexes for a number of years, including building a plant in Mexico, our central utilities complex in a country like Mexico is still challenging because a lot of the, the import requirements, export requirements for the equipment down there. I would say our, at that point in time, transitionary uh, into the energy sector to energy efficiency supported some of that. And in that time, you know, we started to see solar and wind back in the mid-2005, six, seven time period. I found interest in that. You know, we were really didn't have a group that was really focused on it. We were focused on energy efficiency, and I kind of took that under the realm and started to study the market. In fact, just up the road from here, at one point in time, we, 2006, we deployed a one-megawatt rooftop solar array at our Rancho Cucamonga warehouse, which at the time was the largest rooftop array, if you think. 2005 and one megawatt, that was just like, you know, no one had done that yet. It was kind of neat. Went into our kind of sustainability organization leading uh, our efforts in renewables. So I've, as I mentioned, that was kind of my passion. In fact, it all started, John knows this, in maple syrup, second grade, I was concerned about acid rain and its impacts on the maple syrup 
uh, farms in New England. So that kind of got my whole interest perked uh, in this space, uh, actually. So you conjecture back to uh, maple syrup and kind of where I am in my broader journey. Focused uh, in the renewables, GM setting one of the first companies to set targets uh, in renewables. Back in the time, in 2011, I remember debating what does a renewable goal even look like. We decided at that point in time to, to source and promote the use of 125 megawatts of renewables, which seemed like a lot in 2010 and 11, because you know how are you going to do that except for on-site uh, renewables and the cost disadvantages and how do we work through that and leveraging that scale. But needless to say, we blew through that. was on the team that was instrumental to get our, our RE100 goal established in 2016. We have now since accelerated that multiple times here in the U.S. and then transitioned into our energy procurement role. Most recently now lead our energy strategy team. And as, as we'll get into some of the other further discussions and concepts, you can just see that the transportation side of the business is moving quickly into electrification. And so I'm kind of looking at different ways that those types of technologies can now help integrate companies like GM and others, you know, down that path towards decarbonization. So it's really kind of an exciting time to see both the utility industry and all the work that we've been doing in the renewable space and energy efficiency, distributed energy resources, and now the whole transportation side. And when you look at the two largest carbon emitters in the industry, you know, we're highly engaged in both of those now. So it's quite exciting. Well, I'll tell you what's exciting, and, and that's to see what's going on at the, at the company. As an outsider looking in, I mean, the transformation at the company is incredibly dynamic. Mary Barra's keynote at CES last January really kind of kicked it off, but there's been this incredible string of announcements throughout the year, and energy seems to be at the heart of of all of those. Tell us kind of from a high level about this overall transformation that's taking place at the company. Yeah, it's really quite exciting. So having been in the energy space for a long time, you know, buy about $700 million worth of energy for our facilities. It was always kind of the necessary evil. We had to have electricity, natural gas, water, sewer, et cetera, to really run our facilities. But now it's kind of core to our business. And it's really neat to see that transformation take place. As you noted, Mary's speech back at CES, some of the announcements we've had since then, our carbon neutral commitment to be carbon neutral for our operations and products by, you know, 2040, that includes alignment to our science-based targets, $35 billion that we're investing in electric vehicles and autonomous vehicles over really the next five years. You know, that really is going to lead to the release of 30, you know, electric vehicles in that time period, which will represent about 40% of our U.S. fleet when you think about the electrification. So you can think about all the models that in the time frame that car companies used to take in developing, and you've really started to crunch that down with all the data and analytics and things that you can really do to accelerate that. And it's neat to see that transformation, you know, take place in, in the I should say the electric vehicle and the vehicle side, but not only that, you know, we've announced recently our investment into electric boats, you know, and, and Wabtech for fuel cells. If you think about logistics and, and automotives and, and Navistar venture in, in the fuel cell business. So it's really, it's taking the whole business and transforming and saying how you, how you drive your vehicle today will be completely different tomorrow and the totally different mode of propulsion. I hadn't heard about the boats. Yeah. Living in Florida now, I mean, that resonates with me. Yeah, you should buy it. You know, you need to get that electric vote. It'll be quieter. You know, you can go just as fast. You know, those that drive electric vehicles know that they are very powerful and a fun way to drive. Yeah, interesting. So, I mean, that really puts some dimension on the scope of the transformation. And I won't say some people, I'll say me. I mean, up until a couple of years ago, I mean, I viewed GM in a similar way that I would have viewed a utility, which is stodgy, slow to change. How has the company gone from that 
position to one that's much more dynamic and transforming. Now, you can tell me I had it all wrong a couple of years ago, <laughs> but that was certainly my, my perception, and I think the perception of others. It really comes down to our top leadership. I mean, Mary's very bullish on electric vehicles. It's everyone in. As I mentioned, the amount of investment we've really put into there, but we're serious about addressing climate change. And in order to do that, we really need to electrify. I mean, you've heard that across multitude of industries. It's not just the automotive. You know, it's electrification, everything. Your natural gas furnace going to electric. You know, how do you convert and transform and move those opportunities that much faster. And it really links quite nicely when you think about our renewable energy goals and some of the bold goals we had going back even into 2016, is it's really setting a bold path forward and leading in that in that space. And so you know, we're truly committed to that transformation. We're putting a lot of investment into it. You know, we've announced in that roughly short window of time period too our Altium facilities, which are our battery cell, you know, joint venture with LG. We've got the first plant in Lordstown, Ohio. We've got the second facility in our Spring Hill complex where we also are going to be making uh, the Cadillac Lyric and, and some of our other electric vehicles. And we've announced, you know, obviously we just had the full launch of Detroit Factory Zero, which is really the birthplace of first fully electric automotive assembly plant in the world, you know, mm-hmm. outside of Detroit area. So it's it's neat to see that full transformation, the full leadership support, you know, behind the transformation and, and aligning our goals both as a company for our manufacturing operations, which were always really there, now tied to our products too, to ensure that we're addressing, you know, the impacts of climate change. I guess it does always start at the top, right? And that leadership was important. Tell us about how the culture has changed and evolved as part of this. It's really kind of bottom up, top down. I mean, both leadership are listening to the employees, employees are listening to leadership, and you're really finding a lot of collaboration amongst various different teams in ways that I would say in a large company are unheard of. I mean, we can quickly make decisions, work with various team members, come up with opportunities that there's a lot of things that are in the works. You know, as you've seen how much in the last year, there's going to be a lot more in the next 12 months but to move at the speed that we need to move for the transformation to happen. Speed is critical if you want to be a company that's going to lead in this space. And that is something our leadership has you know, stressed with us, that we got to break down all the barriers, work with leadership down to those that build the vehicles themselves and understand how we can do that faster, more efficient, and utilize the data that we've got as a company. Previously, I think you may have met Anthony Davis, who worked with me for some years past. You know, one of his new roles in the company is obviously, and he's now transitioned out of it. I was just talking with him this morning. But, you know, you can imagine the amount of electrical harnesses that run through the vehicles. And it's one thing to design it in the lab or on a computer. It's another thing for the employees to actually then build the vehicle. And how do they actually get that wire connector built into the vehicle and put it in in a way that we don't cause any quality, reliability defects down the road? And he kind of led the team that was integrating that because there are certain things you saw on computers that didn't work when the employees are trying to put it on the assembly line. And so they then work through the bottlenecks to address that. And those are the real-time applications. And so that's really, you know, as an example of the transformation of saying, how do we both address the quality of our vehicles, the build of our vehicles, and then accelerate that transformation so that we can continue that process, you know, as we further electrify. You can think of the harnesses on, you know, ICE vehicles and electric vehicles. Electric is that much more. And those are just some of the examples we're doing to kind of accelerate and leverage the scale that we've got on the manufacturing side of the business. Yeah. Clearly a lot going on. One of the things that I found most interesting in in looking at the changes that are taking place relates to vehicle fleet management. I I think that vehicle fleet electrification is going to fundamentally transform the the fleet management industry. I think there's going to be new models, new approaches, new businesses, and GM announced uh, Bright Drop. Mm -hmm. And my impression is Bright Drop is... GM's play in that new emerging business model for fleet management. Tell us more about 
bright drop? How does it work? Where is it headed? Give us your take on what's happening with that new new business unit for the company. But definitely a great question. Definitely perfect timing. It's obviously the holiday season. So everybody's probably ordering various different goods and services online and wanting them delivered on time. And you think about the amount of vans that are out there, trucks that are part of the logistics too, to be able to get that product from when you make the click to purchase to when it gets delivered to your house. There's hundreds of thousands of delivery vans, if not more, in this space. And you are going to see new models, you know, and ownership structures for that. And I think that's unique. You know, Bright Drop is a brand new brand for General Motors. In fact, just yesterday, we announced the first dealership. It's actually in Fontana, California, just up the road from here, that's going to start to work through that. But, you know, in essence, the kind of the, the view around Bright Drop is, is it's the product, that's the software and the services that allow you from first mile from beginning of delivery to that last mile. So first mile to last mile, when you think about it, comes with an you know, electric vehicle pallet. So think about the ergonomics that build into moving the amount of packages that this country is ultimately going to get delivered as we seem to transition more into getting packages and convenience of home. COVID and obviously the pandemic transitioned a lot of that for folks that get groceries delivered now. I mean, this is a way to really kind of decarbonize the fleet sector. And you're going to see a lot of, I think, interesting, as I mentioned, GM's foray into that. We've got two vans now. It's the EV600, which is kind of the larger one. You think about the larger FedEx trucks to to the, the smaller ones, the EV410, which is, you know, a little bit smaller, but getting towards that last mile of delivery options for the customers. It's interesting. You've gone from just selling vehicles to selling, I think you said, vehicle software and services. So it sounds like as a fleet customer, I could just buy the vehicles themselves or I could buy essentially delivery as a service from Bright Drop and I mean, yeah, is that the yeah. range of models, the range of options? Yeah, I think that's total range of options. I mean, every company delivers and how they want to own their leaders or own their ownership of the vehicles or not. You know, we're there to provide the vehicles and provide that ownership experience so that the customer gets what they want out of that product, whether it's product itself, the software, or the services that come with that. You know, in the end, a lot of what we do is track everything by our phones, you know, and that's what we want to be able to have is kind of a one-stop shopping, whether it's a fleet owner or through our OnStar services, the ability to to understand your your charging habits. I mean, those that drive the Bolt and the Volt now, you know what you get with that, and you can charge and set your time for when you want to charge that electric vehicle when the electricity is the cheapest, because I think, right. you know, that's one of the, the opportunities that you get. You can kind of tie it to when the utilities offer. In some cases, some, you know, they've been piloting more, more and more of the time of use rates. So getting back to your fleet services and, and questions on that too, that's another way for them to kind of help manage their costs in ways you, you love if you could actually go to a gas station in the overnight hours at 1 a.m. and instead of 350 a gallon, it was 250 a gallon just because you decided to fill your gas overnight. Isn't the way it is with you know ICE vehicles, right. but on electric vehicles, it is. So that's you know a better way. And as you think about everyone in, and really most of us probably don't pay attention to our electric bills either, but you know as we create vehicles that ultimately are affordable to everyone. We want to make sure that they yeah. understand that there's different ways to control their costs associated with, with charging that electric vehicle, but doing it also in resources that are primarily renewables when you start to look at the overnight hours of, of this. So how do you balance fleet charging in ways to help decarbonize the grid as well? Yeah. Well, when you pass the gas stations here and you see gas at $5 yeah. a gallon, the thought of being able to fuel up at night at half that yeah, price. Exactly. Okay, I get it. I get it. So when we first met, you were kind of the renewable energy guy at GM. And the company is now in this dramatic state of transformation. Energy is at the heart of so many things. And my impression is you have a seat at the table in a lot more that's going on at the company than just renewable energy procurement. So how's your role 
changed and evolved. Yeah, so you're absolutely right. I think we've met seven or eight years ago, and I did, you know, was leading kind of our renewable energy efforts, you know, at that time. And, and really, that was the focus. I mean, the scaling up power purchase agreements were just kind of coming into the fruition at that point in time. We right. want to be one of the first ones to do some PPAs, which we were fortunate to do and have really started to scale that effort. In fact, we've accelerated our renewable goal, as I mentioned, now in the U.S. to be 100% renewable by 2025. Our global goal is 2035. You know, I remember back in 2016 when we set our RE100 goal, the question was, do we even want to put a date on there? And of course, my argument was, you can't set a goal with no date because we're never really going to march towards setting we got to have a date, you know, associated with that. So 2050 what seemed to be kind of the target, and we've accelerated that twice as we've moved forward with that. And so I think a lot of my roots into the renewable energy efforts have really then has kind of carried over. And, and as I've kind of mentioned, the other key component of our RE100 goal is the first time I went in to get leadership approval for that, I kind of got shot out the door. They're like, well, you're putting all your eggs in one basket. That was the question. It's all in renewables. And it's like, come back with a better strategy. And I said, hmm. Okay. And, you know, that really is where the four pillar strategy came into effect was, well, we've always been doing energy efficiency projects in our facilities. Sourcing renewables is another avenue of doing it. And then pre a lot of all this great, exciting, you know, transformation that we're going now was how does energy storage and some of the things that we're starting to dabble around at that point in time, the bolt was just announced. How do we start to leverage some of the products that we're looking at that we're building as a grid resource potentially in this energy storage space that addresses the intermittency? And then the last part, you know, we're, we're big in the policy seeing the scale. What can we do to really move the markets? And a lot of discussion at that point in time was how do we move the utilities to start to align some of the models that they have, potentially green tariff offerings that would work for customers versus being such a price disadvantage, working with the various different policy folks, both at the state and federal level. So the four pillar strategy kind of went back and they went, huh, this all makes sense. You know, we can align around a various different things that we're doing as a company, you know, in the renewable sector. And I think that is just kind of led now into, you know, as we've now formally announced all of these great opportunities in the products, technology, and services sector to say, okay, how do we leverage the manufacturing skill to help pilot these at a scale that's much larger than bench lab? We have big R&D section too that's looking at it at the bench side, but manufacturing is a, you know, obviously a, an advantage for us. How do we leverage that and look at some of the technologies that we're doing, deploying those in our facilities, testing those out, and ultimately being able to you know, look at those software and technology solutions in the future for our customers? Interesting. Both you and Brian Janice share getting kicked out of a out of an office after a bull presentation. It's funny how he opened the event. You're the one of the closing talks, and I guess Bomber kicked them out of the office when they talked about renewables. And he said, "Hey, it's nothing but a hedge." And they came back with a different approach. And it sounds like you had a similar experience. You came back yep. with the four pillars. So I guess the message to folks who are on the front end of the journey. When you get kicked out of the office, keep your chin up and uh, figure out a way to reposition things. And exactly. I mean, that really is kind of the key to that, I think, is repositioning. You know, it's, I get it. CFO was in the room that first time and it was all our eggs in one basket. What else are we doing as a company that help? think about this. And and it wasn't that it was, you can't come back. Come back right. with something that really makes sense for us as a company. And, you know, those are really good questions and challenging questions to ask because we are doing a lot more. And it's socializing that broader efforts and really starting in, in a lot of ways connecting the dots of what we're doing within the industry. And once they see connecting all of the different moving variables, from them, it's a risk mitigating factor. Hey, right. I can manage this risk in a much broader portfolio, no different than how I I would invest my own money when I look at a portfolio of solution of mutual funds or stocks and everything else. So that's really the key thing, I think, you know, as we look at the technology side of the business is it's not just one technology solution that's going to solve the issues of climate change.
change. It's a multitude of solutions. Yeah. And providing that avenue for financial chief financial officers and those in finance and accounting and treasury, they don't more or less deal with this type of energy, which is really new to them. It's an important part for them not only to understand, because that now allows them to think about how the transformation of the company is going forward, but allows them to also get smarter and ask some of the better challenging questions so that we get smarter as a company and as an industry. Yeah. So thinking about technologies, what, what technologies are in development or on the horizon at GM that, that you're most excited about? I kind of mentioned a little bit of those, you know, earlier. I think, you know, as a technology company in the software solutions, you know, when you look at potentially down the road vehicle to grid applications, look at our fuel cells, as I mentioned, investments into WabTech for, you know, electric fuel cell locomotives. I mean, that's kind of interesting to see some of these technologies out there. So I think both fuel cells, vehicle to grid applications, and ultimately battery storage solutions, you know, because in the end, we're really trying to address the intermittency that renewables bring to the grid. As we talk about a portfolio of solutions, wind and solar isn't going to get us there. We saw that in Texas. I've seen that in Michigan when we had our natural gas outage. So when I transitioned into the energy procurement role, I've been into a multitude of climate, what I would call climate issues that have been driven by climate extreme events. Uh, and so it's thinking about how do these various different technology solutions play into that, both in what I call our short, mid, and long-term duration outages. Short-term is basically a flip of a nanosecond thing. You know, many batteries can absorb and do some of that, or you can do other mitigating factories. But what do you do during, you know, peak times of the day? You know, battery storage is a great way from a shifting, peak shaving, you know, and looking at demand response type of applications. But then fuel cells, green hydrogen, and some of these other ones get into kind of those long-term storage issues. I mean, England's seen that this year. Europe, you know, wind profiles have been down. You know, they've had to rely on, you've seen the power prices in England going. How do we start to think about this in a kind of short, mid, and long duration, you know, event that we've got impact for? California is a great example. Hydro is way down. Right. So how do they start to think about these different solutions that ultimately drive towards a decarbonized grid? Rob, as always, it was great, great to spend yeah. time with you. And as always, the time goes by in yeah, a blink. <laughs> so thank you so much for uh, being with us today. All Please right. join me in thanking Rob. <laughs> Thanks again to Rob for his continued engagement as a very active member of the Smart Energy Decisions community. I'd also like to thank you, our community of listeners, for joining us on the podcast and being a part of the Smart Energy Decisions community. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and tell your colleagues and peers about it. To learn more about how you can become a part of the next Smart Energy Decisions event, click on the link in the show notes for more information. We're honored to have the opportunity to share conversations with leaders of the energy transition in every episode of this podcast, on our website, and at our events, all in the interest of helping you make smart energy decisions. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast. Digest the insights from today's episode and take action on the ideas that have inspired you. Join us every Friday for conversations with smart energy leaders. We also invite you to check out another SED podcast, Beyond the Meter. Each episode of Beyond the Meter features innovative energy projects and initiatives by large electric power users. 
To keep up to date with trends and happenings in the energy transition, visit smartenergydecisions.com to register for our daily newsletter and become part of the Smart Energy Decisions community. Thank you.